Good morning, everyone, and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. Today is Sunday, October 12, 2014. My name is Leah, and I'm your moderator. The share ID for Friday, October 10th, is 6946. This morning, A Vision for You presents The Promises, Fact or Fiction. The big book boldly states the promises that manifest in our lives after completing steps one through nine, the process of spiritual transformation. We are not what we used to be. We are changed in the way we think, feel, and behave. Old ideas, emotions, and attitudes that we had when we arrived have been cast aside and a whole new set of ideas, emotions, and attitudes begin to dominate us. Here to speak more on the topic of the promises, fact, or fiction is Larry. Larry is a recovered compulsive overeater from Chicago, Illinois, who spends much time intensively working with other compulsive overeaters and is always eager and grateful to carry this message of recovery. And welcome to the line, Larry. Thanks, Leah. Can you hear me okay? Perfect. Thank you. Okay. Leah, I bet you didn't know that I had a uh, special uniform that I wear when I, when I speak. Um, this is, uh, you know, promises, you know, fact or fiction. Um, I have a very special uniform I wear, and I'm wearing it right now, and I'll tell you what it consists of, Leah. <clears throat> it consists of um, a T-shirt with a smiling Mickey Mouse on it. And the reason I wear that is because um, I'm reminded not to take myself too seriously. You know, I didn't get here, uh, you know, with uh, this problem being solved. I did not arrive here recovered. I'm also drinking out of my Mickey Mouse mug. Thank you very much. Um, (laughs) um, Again, humility is, is a big part of my program today. And thank you, you know, thanks to my higher power, you know, I have a little bit of humility. And I, I, I want to start up by saying, well, first, one promise, you know, that I, that I think of before I get into more detail on the promises, um, I can tell you a Sunday morning had special significance in the fall for me. Um, I guess it didn't really matter particularly what time of year because I promised myself to do the same thing most Sundays. But particularly when, you know, there was going to be a Chicago Bears football game on later. And... Uh, you know, my Sundays, I, I'm quite certain I would have already been uh, to the bagel, local bagel place and picking up my, uh, you know, my, my dozen bagels, my big vat of, I call it a vat of, of cream cheese, uh, and consuming all that uh, in the morning. That was part of my ritual. That was a promise I made to myself. I still, truth be told, I still can find, you know, you know how you, if you have a dog and the dog sheds, you know, I could still find, it's been years and years, right? But every so often I can still find a, a seed, a poppy seed or a sesame seed or something. Thought I had all that uh, cleaned up, but um, every so often uh, I admit that I, I find that. I don't live my life like that anymore. That's a miracle. Um, has has somewhat uh, loosely connected to these promises. So I'll, I'll get, I'll, I'll start with that and, and, Really where I want to start is by telling you uh, about a promise I made but I didn't keep. 
you know, because uh, deliveries of promises were not to, were not really my strong suit prior to becoming recovered, to getting this, to this state that we call recovered. Um, imagine that. You know, the story I'll tell you is when my daughter was fairly young, I had some vacation time just prior to, you know, the Christmas holiday. Uh, and I decided to take a trip with my daughter uh, to where else, where else would a compulsive overeater decide to go rather spontaneously. We were going to drive to Hershey, Pennsylvania. And she was very excited about that. Um, we would drive east from Chicago through, you know, parts of Indiana, Ohio, through the beautiful hills of Pennsylvania, and we would arrive. And we did arrive in Hershey, and I, I made arrangements to stay at the historic Hotel Hershey, I think they call it. For those of you in Pennsylvania, you, you know where I'm referring to, or those who have been there. Beautiful, upscale, basically empty. Of course, it was right before, you know, the Christmas holiday, Hanukkah season. Um, and uh, anyway, one of the many fun things that we did while we were there, while we visited uh, Hershey, was we went to Hershey's Chocolate World. Uh, where else would a compulsive overeater like me go? And there was a tour, and uh, they called it the 4D Expert Experience. I don't know if it's still there, but it, it probably is. And my daughter, Beth, uh, not a compulsive overeater, thank you, God, like me, um, she purchased some souvenirs, and we took in the sights. And uh, one of the things she purchased was a, a peanut M&M T-shirt. This was, kind of, this was very humorous to her because kind of a joke because – it was her way at her young age of thumbing her nose at her peanut allergies. She has deathly peanut allergies. I probably mentioned that online before on the vision meeting. Um, she also purchased uh, something else that she valued, valued, which was a one-pound Hershey's Kiss that um, she, she intended never to eat. This, this was guaranteed to come off the, the factory line within, you know, five hours or so. And it was just, it, it, you know, the meaning to her was kind of special. And, she wanted to take it back as a memory of the great time she had with her dad, you know, and uh, and we did that, and we, we arrived home a few days later, and her mother obviously missed her terribly. You know, I was divorced at the time. This was certainly before I came into the program. Um, being divorced was, was tough on Beth. Um, she was constantly, you know, shuttled back and forth between my home and her mom's, and, and we got along okay. Um, I mean, her, her mom, certainly, and um, as best as, you know, a compulsive overeater that can't control their emotional nature much, we'll get to that, but um, could do. But we stopped first at my place uh, to drop off some things before taking her back to her mom's. And Beth was really excited because she had purchased a, a real cool coffee mug for her mom, you know, and uh, so she, she wanted to, 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 to go, go back to her mom's place. And just as we were about to leave, she pulled out that one-pound Hershey's Kiss from her suitcase. And I can tell you that even at that young, you know, tender age, Beth was fully cognizant, fully aware that I could not be trusted with the preservation of certain food items. I mean, she had been down that road with uh, several uh, Halloweens and, you know, and, and seeing, uh, seeing, you know, from her perspective, from her uh, per perceptive lenses, what it was like for me uh, in terms of keeping promises. Couldn't do that. Um, I could not be trusted in that way. Yet she wanted to keep the Hershey's Kiss at my place, and you know she wanted. She also wanted to make a collage out of the the pictures we took, and once I had them developed, um, it was a very special trip. 
And I looked best, I remember, like it was yesterday, I looked back directly in her skeptical eyes, my, you know, my lovely daughter, who's now 19. And I said, sweetheart, you know, daddy won't touch this Hershey's kiss. I can assure you that this is different, okay? This is yours, and after all, you got it directly from the factory, and it was special, and don't worry about it. It's fine. And you know, when I said that, I meant every word of it. I mean, this was my daughter. You know, that Hershey's kiss, however, when I took Beth back, it began to talk to me. You know how, how food talks to, to you, and it began to talk to me and have conversations with me, if you will. And... um uh, I can tell you that when I began to unwrap that that package, I still didn't intend to, to have any. And then at first it was, well, I'll just break off a little bit. And I can tell you within, you know, within an hour, I had consumed that entire Hershey's Kiss under the premise that, well, I'll, I'll just go pick up another one. I mean, she won't know the difference. Of course, integrity was not part of my life. And... uh of course, I never did pick up another one. I'm sure I was into food fog, into work, into the problems. I, I thought the geographic solution of going to Hershey, that might fix me. No, um, I was, uh, I forgot. And she got back. She didn't forget. Kids don't forget. And she and I had to admit to her that uh, that I ate her Hershey's Kiss, what she knew. And, you know, look at her eyes. She was, she was destroyed. Not, not, you know, teary and, you know, Beth is, you know, a good kid. She... But she, she just didn't trust me. You know, that look just didn't trust me. And I remember, you know, just the, the look of dejection in her eyes, you know. You see, there, there's, um, you know, we're brought out of a state of incompleteness, depression, morbid introspection, anxiety, fear, doubt, distress, um, to a new life of maturity and personal insight. It's characteristic with, with being in alignment with our higher power, but I wasn't in alignment with anything other than Larry. And, uh, you know, that was the, the type of, that, that was one of the promises that I, I later had to make amends for. Um, and it wasn't, it wasn't fun to do that. And, uh, you know, and, and this is where the disease takes us. You know, just to be clear, a promise as defined in the dictionary, is, is a declaration that one will do or refrain from doing something specified. Or, you know, maybe a legal binding declaration that gives the person to whom it's made a right to expect or to claim the performance or forbearance of a specified act. You know, we come to expect it. The thing is, though, um, you know, there was a somewhat humorous definition of a promise that came across with regard to people like us. It referred to a promise, uh, uh, you know, as something that many people make but few people keep. <laughs> that was me, all right. You know, never again will I eat the whole pizza. You know, perhaps sad but nonetheless true. That's, you know, I made many promises to myself and others that I totally intended to keep, but in the end I couldn't or wouldn't keep. Any wonder, then, that most of us arrive here skeptical of promises, very skeptical of promises, because human beings make many promises, many sweet promises. We don't, uh, fortunately, we're human, and uh, we don't necessarily keep our promises. So, you know, there's an old Chinese proverb that says, knowledge is obtained by others, wisdom we must acquire ourselves. 
And so, that, you know, that proverb, that Chinese proverb tells me wisdom is something we gain through personal experience. You know, that promise, a declaration that a particular thing will happen. This book, this big book for me is divine. It's God-inspired. It's an assurance. It's an absolute flat-out guarantee that gives the person to whom it's made a right to expect the performance of that act, of what's promised. And, um, and you know, if, if, this, if the promises were just simply promises from Bill Wilson and, and the early folks that, you know, that, that, that penned these pages, then um, they're probably not worth the paper that they're written on because, you know, Bill Wilson, we know his story. He made many sweet promises to his wife and many others. Couldn't keep them just like me in the Hershey's Kiss. But the promises that we're going to talk about this morning found in the big book are not the promises from Bill Wilson. And if you're jaded, as I was coming in, about promises, you hear these promises and you think, um, fiction, you know, hopeful, but fiction. Then, of course, whatever we believe is true every time. And so... You know, in fact, my promises were so hollow in their sincerity that the big book warns us on page 83 about attempting to clean up our side of the street with our family. You know, in step nine, and in sharing this spiritual transformation, it says, our behavior will convince them more than our words. We must remember that 10 or 20 years of drunkenness would make a skeptic out of anyone. You know, so the, the, the world judges me by my actions, not by my intentions. So the notion of promise-making and promise-keeping, most of us are primed for intense skepticism when we arrive here. I know I was. And when you start talking about promises of this program, let's just say that I had an extreme bias against the word promise. Did I come here with contempt prior to investigation? Absolutely. You bet I did. You know, don't, don't you dare talk to me about promises. I don't keep mine. I don't expect that you're going to keep yours. So here's what I, I felt over years anonymous with suggesting that I believe, you know, a couple of things anyways, that, you know, I'm powerless over my binge substances. You know, how dare you insult my intelligence by suggesting that I'm powerless over an inanimate object like food? I mean, what, you trying to, to reduce me to some kind of helpless addictum? Would it make sense to help me believe that I could indeed master this addiction? If I just tried harder, just, just harder. No, thanks. I, I think I'll diet some more. You know, that's the ticket. Perhaps I'll, I'll, I'll jump on the elliptical machine as I always did. You know, more gallons of cabbage soup. That'll do the trick. <laughs> that was a big one for me. Uh, perhaps another elective surgery. I had two. Why not another? And now, not, you know, worse yet, now you're suggesting that I, I came to believe in a power greater than myself to restore me to sanity. <laughs> uh, I, get, I get this old bait and switch technique uh, that you're trying to pull here. So now I need a power outside of myself to make me sane? Oh, you, you mean this, this God control stuff? No, thanks. More wine, bring on the cake. You know, I'll show you. You know, you ignorant, you ignorant saps. Uh, a doorknob is a higher power followed by an instant cure. Okay. Yeah. And the tooth fairy and Santa Claus, right? So now back to my present reality. See, I, um, I'm recovered today 
with humility I say that, not cured. Big Book reminds me on page 44 in We Agnostics. It says to be doomed to an alcoholic death or to live life on a spiritual basis are not always easy alternatives to faith. Yet we might say, you know, how can that be so? You know, death or a commitment to embarking on a spiritual transformation of action? Um, I don't know. Let me see. I choose death. You know, that's what many of us do. That's the choice many people uh, indeed make. Let me tell you about one such individual before discussing the promises in greater detail. I had a friend, I'll call him Joe. And uh, I remember when I started embarking on this program, Joe was uh, an alcoholic of, of the better variety. Uh, when he when he uh, he had been in and out of rehab, 28 day programs, um, he had been in and out of various churches, trying to find the right thing that would pull him from this misery, this terrible misery. Yet you'd like this guy, you know. He he was uh, he was a, a real uh, gentle soul. Um, Joe was a. Uh, um, Joe was uh, the kind of guy, he started a business, he played in a, a steel drum band that, that played, you know, corporate gigs and so forth. He was he had some business savvy and he was gentle, sweet. I remember going on a cruise where there was a couple hundred people that uh, they were playing on this cruise. It was a carnival cruise and they had all, all these different types of gigs and, uh, and boy, he really battled his disease. He tried to throw everything in his power, his own power to it. Boy, I'd see him sometimes in my town running, and he looked great, you know, just glowing and telling me all the wonderful things. And then I remember he he was coming to my my daughter was in a play, um, and he would come and support my daughter. He had kind of a theater, theatrical sort of side to him, you know. And my daughter was in a play. She was in a um, in in the play Rent, but it, it was a, a junior version, so not the the racy kind. But anyways, it was with all the beautiful music and. At least I think so, anyway. And so Joe showed up, and um, he had noticed that I had lost some weight. Of course, you know, people notice our physical packaging, right? And uh, he said, wow, what have you done? Oh, he hadn't seen me in a while, probably a year. And I said, just what I always say, huh? You know, it's just the, the you know, 12 steps of Overeaters Anonymous. It's kind of a 12-step type pro- I mean, if someone asked me, I don't go out advertising it, but if someone asked me, I'm... I'm not tiptoeing around it, you know. Oh, wow, really? And he, he looked down a little dejected. I knew he had a drinking problem and for years. And and I just remember him saying, um, yeah, I tried that. It just didn't work for me. I just couldn't deal with the with the God stuff. A year later, Joe died in his um, condo. He, he drank himself to death. Um, it was uh, it was a nasty. I mean, think think Bill Wilson. We hear some of the stories. If you know anyone that 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 uh, dies in their cups, you know that's not a pretty picture. You know, this was a guy with a lot of promise that impacted many lives, and he's gone. With with us, it's just like that. You know, this disease would have you dead. You know, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly, but it'll always kill you. You know, it will. And uh, so he, he's, he, he died, and that was very sad, very tragic, but that is part of my reality. Um, on page 64, it says, when the spiritual malady is overcome, we start to straighten out mentally and physically. And then on page 68, it says, just to the extent that we do what we think he would have us and humbly rely on him, does he enable us to match calamity with serenity? 
in Bill's story, you know, Bill, you know, page nine, he recounts like uh, his old drinking pal, Abby Thatcher, sat at his kitchen table and, you know, he, he did no ranting. In a matter of fact way, he told how two men had appeared in court persuading the judge to suspend his commitment. They had told of a simple religious idea and a practical program of action that was two months ago, and the result was self-evident. It worked. You see, just like Ebby, I, I can tell you that I, I followed a spiritual idea as well as a practical program of action in these 12 steps. And the result in my life is self-evident. It worked. You know, Bill, Bill's phone rang in November of late November of 1934, and Ebby came to to carry the message to Bill, and here we are, October 12, 2014, and you and I are on the phone, and I'm carrying the same exact message. You know, and before I get to the promises, let me state emphatically, this is a planned program of spiritual recovery. It's found in the first 164 pages of the big book called Alcoholics Anonymous. And although its purpose is to help alcoholics become and stay abstinent, the program attends to much more than that. Much more than that. Page 77, uh, in the midst of step nine, right before the, the promises uh, begin to, to materialize, the big book reminds us that our real purpose is to fit ourselves to be of maximum service to God and to the people about us. And that's why the, the real test of, of my recovery is not so much what goes on here. You don't know what I'm doing. You know, on the phone line over the you know next hour or so that we're on the line together, what goes on out there in my life after the meeting, among family, friends, strangers, coworkers? Because the reality is, when when the meeting's over, we all go back out into our world, where the majority of people could care less what you're eating or not eating, or how long you've been abstinent. They they don't care. But how am I living? How am I living my life? And I can tell you today, I could, I could, I could, if you saw me, if you followed me around, you wouldn't, you wouldn't see perfect. There is no perfect. But you'd see a different, transformed man. This program's about change. In fact, only the first of the 12 steps even names the substance. It even talks about alcohol. The rest of the steps are, are concerned with spiritual processes, knowledge of a relationship with a higher power, Things like self-searching and confession, openness to being changed, amends, which is change, right? Prayer and meditation, seeking God's will and carrying the message to others. It's funny, in, in a letter to Bill Wilson, uh, you know, that Swiss psychologist, Carl Jung, famous Swiss psychologist, he wrote that the craving for the substance is the equivalent on a low level of the spiritual thirst of our own being for wholeness or union with a higher power. See, I believe that. So abstinence from my sugary dessert items and my salty, savory, crunchy items, just abstinence, merely signals that, that I've embarked on the spiritual path described in the 12 steps. The path or the way out is a continuing journey to wholeness and serenity. You know, a spiritual awakening is not a byproduct, but the exact means by which we recover. It's the exact means by which we recover. The realization, the promises are an indication that I've had a spiritual awakening. No spiritual awakening, no promises. That's, that's my belief. That's my opinion. So 
So let me read the promises that uh, on pages 83 and 84, and let's let's drill down a little bit on them. So you keep in mind we're in step nine at this point, right? And we hear this read so often that maybe it loses some of its impact for us. But it says, you know, and we can say, you know, once we've we're, we've embarked on step nine sequentially, we can't just go right to step nine, right? I tried that. Good luck with that. It didn't work for me. I tried to go out and make amends the, like the second or third day. <laughs> Sounds insane, right? But that's what I was. Um, but when I'm in the midst of step nine, if we are painstaking about this phase of our development, we will be amazed before we're halfway through. Oh, I was amazed. I really was. I made a made an amend to a uh, to a to a woman who didn't even accept my amend. I manipulated her and 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 lied and just all all manner of lacking integrity. And uh, of course, she 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 decided not to accept my amends. But I was willing from the right place. I had changed at that part. No change when we get to step nine. No recovery. But I was amazed before I was halfway through. We're going to know a new freedom and a new happiness. We will not regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it. We will comprehend the word serenity and we will know peace. Boy, oh my goodness. I, I, I am not... I'll tell you more about that in a moment, but um, about knowing serenity and peace today. It's a, it's, a, it's a major transformation in my life. No matter how far down the scale we have gone, we will see how our experience can benefit others. I read that for years, uh, like a physical scale. <laughs> My mind was primed for that, but um, we will see how our experience can benefit others. That feeling of uselessness and self-pity will disappear. We will lose interest in selfish things and gain interest in our fellows. Self-seeking will slip away. Our whole attitude and outlook upon life will change. Fear of people and of economic insecurity will leave us. Notice it doesn't say um, economic insecurity and people will leave us fear of those 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 two things will leave us we will intuitively know how to handle situations which used to baffle us we will suddenly realize that god is doing for us what we could not do for ourselves and then it goes on are these extravagant promises and then we all say we think not because why because they're being fulfilled among us since the time of bill wilson in the first 100 sometimes quickly sometimes slowly but they will always materialize if we work for them. I don't use the word always and never too often. They will always materialize if we work for them. So um, let me talk just a little bit about some of these promises and uh, and, and what happened with me and uh, um, just just how transformative this, this was for me. So here was our situation before taking the steps. This was my situation. The bedevilments are described in the big book on page 52 in We Agnostics. And first it says, you know, we were having trouble with personal relationships. <laughs> Check. Yeah, two failed marriages and countless destroyed relationships in my life. You know, the, the battlefield of my life was littered with corpses of broken relationships at every turn. And then it says we couldn't control our emotional natures. You know, my angry and bitter vitriol, you know, the words of criticism and judgment that spewed, I, I vomited them. I might as well have been a purger because although I didn't purge food, I purged my vitriol upon others on a daily basis. You know, you squeeze an orange, what comes out? 
the only thing that can, which is orange juice. You squeeze me when, when I was, when I was uh, uh, still practicing my disease. What came out was vitriol and anger because self-loathing, because that's what was in, in myself. We were a prey to misery and depression. Well, I, I was enslaved by fear and anxiety. They, they were my constant companion. Panic attacks so debilitating that during those periods, I basically shut myself off from the outside world and had such shame and you know, what we call learned helplessness. So I avoid my, my, the way I dealt with it is I avoided. I avoided people, places, and things until I magically came out of my stupor. And sometimes it'd be a week or sometimes it'd be two weeks. But even when I came out of that intensity of the panic attacks, for those of you that know what that's like, that was, that's no fun, right? Um, but anxiety and, and misery and depression were always with me. And so I began to learn to just accept that. I thought I knew that that was the only way that I could live. We couldn't make a living. You know, after my first divorce, first of two, I, I moved from Madison, Wisconsin, where I was working on my doctorate, and back to Chicago, and, and I bounced from six different employers during a four-year stretch of complete madness and mayhem. You know, my wife, um, uh, soon-to-be ex-wife, had moved back with my very young daughter, you know, and I, I mean, never saw, I remember just like tearing into her. How, how could you do that? How could you? How dare you? And, and then, you know, reverting to, well, you know, you were never on my level anyway. That's, that's what was within me, you know, and uh, so I couldn't make a living. We had a feeling of uselessness, certainly true for me, yet it's funny about self-loathing funny thing about self-loathing I, I was way too full of pride and self-deceit to admit how useless I felt but deep down deep down when I looked in the mirror I knew I wasn't uh, I wasn't of much use to other people to my employer cheated steal stole lied you know and uh, all in deception. Of course, I, I'd get up and I'd teach and I'd feel, you know, we, we would carry around self-importance, tripping with judgment of others. I could always see the problem in you. I'd always find it in you. Couldn't, couldn't see it in, in me. That's what self-loathing does to us. We were full of fear. Not a single day went by when fear was not my master. The evidence... All I gave away was anger. And that's, that's the only tool I had in my toolbox. I was a one-trick pony. Fear ruled me. It says we were unhappy. <laughs> I used the acronym, uh, excuse me, the, the letters FPS. Yes, I was unhappy. Here's how I dealt with my unhappiness. Duh, I was unhappy. Um, FPS, food, porn, and scrabble. <laughs> now, if that sounds funny to you, um, it, it sounds funny to me now, but... But the thing was, is those were my tools, food and stuffing my face day after day so I didn't have to feel anything. I could numb out to everything, you know, and eat it in vast quantities. Um, lustful behaviors, of course. Couldn't have intimate relationships. Oh, no. You don't love yourself. Just try to see what you bring to someone else. I bring something else different today. Amazing what these promises do. And Scrabble, you, you, you know, I'd like to tell you it was, oh, we, oh, well, at least he played Scrabble with other people. At least he was social. 
Au contraire, no. I played Scrabble online, and uh, you know where you can play <clears throat> people that you don't even you don't even talk to. And and if anyone tried to you know uh, engage me in an online conversation, I wouldn't play them anymore. Leave me alone. Let me numb out. FPS. We couldn't seem to be of real help to other people. Well, n- no, not unless I saw the benefit to me. Remember, selfishness, self-centeredness, that was the root of our troubles. You know, we had to find a power that we could live by. So the opinion I'm about to share with you has been informed by my personal experience. Back to that Chinese proverb about, uh, you know, personal experience. See, the steps are intended to be worked with immediacy and due haste. In other words, the practical program of action, which is the 12 steps, should be worked right away and completed quickly. That's my experience. And I've been told on occasion by some well-intentioned, you know, people in the fellowship of OA that this approach will harm newcomers, that, that they couldn't possibly be ready to do the necessary work. You know, in other words, you know, meeting makers make it and keep coming back, <clears throat> wait for the miracle to happen, Wait for the pixie dust to be, you know, you'll get sprinkled. Just keep coming back and hanging out with, you know what, hang out with uh, Leia. Then it'll happen to you. Make Leia your higher power. Guess what? It's not happening. I don't care if Bill Wilson was your, came back from the dead and was your sponsor. You're not having recovery if you're not willing to work the steps. That's my personal experience. I hope it doesn't sound too harsh, but it is nonetheless my truth. So eventually, you know, they would say they'll come to their, you know, their senses through a process of osmosis, you know, just kind of hanging out. And we all know stories that, believe me, there's more than one or two people on the line that were in program for 10 and 20 and 30 years and never heard the message of how to get well, of the way out, the steps in the first 164 pages of this book. It's dead wrong. It's killing people. As I mentioned, I personally know people who have died in this disease while while in the proverbial waiting room, waiting for death, you know, that's, that's just my reality. So I reject the notion that we get out of, uh, you know, get, get our life straightened out first and, and, and only then turn to God, turn to our higher power. Because if this were true, there would be no AA or any other A. Because Bill Wilson would have died trying to straighten out his life first. He made lots of promises. You see, I believe that we turn to our higher power through this process. And then, and then, and only then, do we begin to experience the change necessary to get to the state that we call recovered. And in the early period of AA, you don't have to look back too far. When newcomers came to their first meeting and wondered, you know, when are we going to work the steps, these steps you're talking about? More experienced members, you know, these sharing partners, they would tell them, it's all based on what you, you know, when you want to get well. You, you want to get well today? Okay, let, let's start right now. Let's crack open this big book right now. If you don't want to get well today, it's better to put off the steps and continue drinking. The alcohol will be your greatest persuader. You know, I, I'd, rather, I'd rather see someone back in the Oreos if uh, they're not ready to work the steps. We have to choose. So there is a way out. You know, it's like I tell them, there's a way out. Follow me. I'm nothing special. I got my Mickey Mouse T-shirt on. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm nothing special. But if you're not ready, there's the door back to the disease. There's no, like we hear, I love when Leah says, there's no other door. There's no door number three that I'm aware of. 
If you find another door, please let me know. Complete psychic change or death, it's your choice. If that sounds harsh, I, I do apologize because I, 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 I'm, I'm a gentle soul, really. But I will not insult your intelligence by playing pretend. You see, I've had a complete psychic change, so I'm no longer on the Titanic. You know, I, um, it happened to me. So when, if I speak with authority, it's not Larry's authority. I speak because God did for me what I could not do for myself. And every day that I wake up, I'm amazed. There's not a day that I wake up, not in a food fog, not tearing people apart, being fully present, being the father that I want to be, you know, loving others. You know, what am I doing when, when, when I'm not on this line? Bill Wilson got into the steps that later became crystallized with a, within a couple of days. He, he, yes, he put down the drink, but he never took another drink for the rest of his life. I mean, here's his own words, page 13 in the big book. There I humbly offered myself to God, as I then understood him, to do with me as he would. I placed myself unreservedly under his care and direction. I admitted for the first time that of myself I was nothing, that without him I was lost. I ruthlessly faced my sins and became willing to have my newfound friend take them away, root and branch. I have not had a drink since. If you wanted to truly know what type of recovery I am, you'd, you'd kind of have to follow me around and see how I interact with my world day after day. So, like, you know, you'd have to see what type of father I am. You'd have to, to be a bug on the wall as I interact with sponsees or, you know, I get lots of calls. I, I'm, I'm grateful. Am I burdened? No, of course not. Can I get back to everybody in a timely manner? <laughs> not always. Um, but, you know, I'm truly desirous of being of service to others. Why is that? Because God changed me. He changed all manner of thinking for me. And you'd have to see me at work when things get dicey, you know. How do I how do I treat students? How do I treat you know my you know the people on my team? Uh, what happens when I'm on the highway when someone cuts me off? You know what 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 type of person am I when it's not entirely convenient for me to be nice, uh, to be generous, to be empathic, kind? Yeah, I'm not saying that I do it perfectly. There 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 is no perfect. What I'm saying is, is that my true recovery, my true recovery, I have to be at maximum service to God and others. So my true recovery is determined, you know, by how I interact with others now. And again, the promises are not extravagant. It says they may seem like that they, they are, but they, but we don't think so. You know, we don't call them the ninth step maybes. <laughs> they're, they're divine provinces, ironclad. You know, this, remember, this, is, this big book of Alcoholics Anonymous is an, is an experiential book, not a theoretical one. I teach using theoretical books. This one must be experienced. They were doing this for about five years when they wrote it. So it was happening for them. In other words, <clears throat> you do the work as it's laid out under the guidance of a, of a sharing partner, a sponsor, you know, up to this point, up to step nine, and you 100% of the time can expect that these things will happen to you. They are being fulfilled in us, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly, we're reminded. You know, so, so some of them will happen faster than others. 
but they will always materialize if we work for them, if we work for them. If you do the work, they will materialize, period. And that takes us through the, the program of action steps four through nine. So that means that we're kind of at the precipice of that state that we call recovered. And as you begin your nine-step amends, you begin to experience the promises. And now, you know, then we transition to the 10th step where the cycle of, you know, physical allergy and, and obsession kind of cracks open and you become recovered. And this was designed to drive out the obsession of the mind. And that's what happened with me. It was unmistakable. It's either driven out or it isn't. And it did happen for me. So step 10 suggests to continue to take personal inventory and continue to set right any new mistakes as we go along. And on page 84, it says, we have entered the world of the spirit. We've entered the world of the spirit. And now we have to grow in our understanding and effectiveness. And then it says that this is not an overnight matter. It's a lifetime commitment. So just prior to what we often refer to as the 10-step promises, they're not so hidden, right? They're right there. On page 84 and 85, the big book instructs us to continue to watch for things like selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear. And it says when these crop up, not if these crop up. Guess what? They're going to crop up. So let me finish up by reading the 10-step promises, um, followed by what I, what I find to be a very healthy and instructive warning. So I'm going to flip over to page 80, 84 here. And it says, and we have ceased fighting anything or anyone, even alcohol. For by this time, sanity will have returned. We will seldom be interested in liquor. If tempted, we recoil from it as from a hot flame. We react sanely and normally. And we will find that this has happened automatically. We will see that our new attitude toward liquor has been given us without any thought or effort on our part. It just comes. That is the miracle of it. We are not fighting it, neither are we avoiding temptation. We feel as though we had been placed in a position of neutrality, safe and protected. We've not even sworn off. Instead, the problem has been removed. It does not exist for us. We are neither cocky nor are we afraid. That is our experience. That is how we react so long as we keep in fit spiritual condition. And, you know, the, the, the healthy and instructive warning is in the very next paragraph, it says it's easy to let up on the spiritual program of action and rest on our laurels. And here's the warning. We are headed for trouble if we do, for alcohol is a subtle foe. We are not cured of alcoholism. What we really have is a daily reprieve contingent on the maintenance of our spiritual condition. Every day is a day when we must carry the vision of God's will into all our activities. How can I best serve thee? Thy will, not mine, be done. These are thoughts which must go with us constantly. You can exercise our willpower along this line all we wish. It is the proper use of the will. So there's my warning. And so that's why one of the reasons I'm on the line today. You know, the neutrality around my food? Sure, if you don't have neutrality around your food, one, you don't know what it is. And you really want it. Okay, that, that's, I, how do I know that? Because I was right where you are. I, did, I knew what the word neutrality was, but I didn't know how it applied here. And what would that feel like? And I kept wanting to know first because I wanted an assurance. I had, I had underlying fear 
that I, that it wouldn't happen for me. Maybe I'm not doing this right, or maybe I'm one of those un, poor, unfortunate souls that that can't have this. No, you can have this 100% of the time, but willingness comes from you. God gave you free will. You know, Oreos today, Doritos, whatever, or abstinence and use the tools to support you while you're getting well, but make haste, great haste in working the steps because that is the thing that got me well. And now I don't talk conceptually about neutrality around food, about the fact that the problem has been removed. I speak from belief based on knowing because it happened to me. And the same can happen. If it can happen for me, it can happen for you. With that, I'll pass. Thanks, Leah. Thank you so much, Larry, for this fascinating presentation on the promises. Thank you for your service this morning. Larry's contact information will be given after the conclusion of this recording, so stay tuned for that. And now we open the floor for any questions you might have for Larry this morning. And you can present your question by pressing star 1 to unmute. Identify yourself, please. Hello. Yes. Good morning. Go ahead. Hi. Hi. This Hi. is Lauren. Hi. This is Lauren S. from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and I had a question regarding <clears throat> uh, when Larry talked about SPS um, and his experience with possibly secondary addictions or other um, addictive behaviors that may have popped up when he put the food down um, and what his relationship was to those behaviors after he put the food down. I don't know if that makes sense. <laughs> it does. Okay. It does, Lauren. Thank you for the question. And um, I was thinking about you and all of my Pennsylvania friends when I was relating my story about Hershey. <laughs> but. Uh, but anyway, um, yeah, that, that, you know, what I shared about that. Here, here's my reality for that. You know, and I'm hearing some feedback, Leah. Do you want to mute us out and I can come back in? Uh, we'll take care of that. Yeah, hold on. Okay, cool. Go ahead. I'm not and hearing you now. Yep, go okay, ahead. Thanks so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so great, great question, Lauren. And, and so the concern or the question was about some of these other things that were perceived to be addictions. And, um, and 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 perhaps they were um, the Scrabble one has has uh, has taken care of itself. <laughs> My life is is balanced, um, and I don't seek out any external, including lustful types of things. Um, God gave me instincts, and they're good. He gave me instincts to eat. He gave me inst- the sex instinct. He gave me these instincts, but they're used. I'm in alignment with God today, so I can just tell you with a straight face, no. You know, uh, I, can't, I can't convey it anymore that, that those, all those issues that I presented have been resolved. I have not been rendered perfect, but I can tell you that, you know, and I don't want to sidetrack. I can tell you that I'll just call it the lustful types of behaviors I use just like the food. It's the same underlying dynamic. I was a miserable, depressed, um, unhappy person, and I was owned by the food, anxiety, misery, depression, and I sought different ways to change my state, my, my state of how, how I felt. I wanted to numb out those feelings, and when I found those things, 
I went to them regularly. I was a one-trick pony, if you will. So in answer to your question, very specifically, Lauren, they do, none of those affect me now. You know, so do I still have interest, uh, uh, interest in, in partnership? And, and yes, sexual interest, of course I do. I'm, I'm a human being. But nothing on the level of objectification of women anymore. And I could not do that myself, Lauren. No way. No way. Impossible. So if there's any men and or women out there that are experiencing that and you think, well, no way, guess what? If my food, if God was big enough, this God of my understanding was big enough to remove a food obsession that was absolutely killing me, he was also big enough to remove the other obsessions where I took the instincts way beyond that which they were intended, and that has indeed happened 100%. Hope that helps. Thank you, Lauren, for the question. Who's next? With a question for Larry. This is Marcella. Can I ask a question? Yes, go ahead. Um, uh, Larry, I, I almost feel like I know you just by listening to you in the meeting. So um, I live pretty close to an eating disorder center in Boston. And, and um, if you have any suggestions as how to um, present the message or how to walk in and say, I have a solution, maybe I can be of service. That's it. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I, and thank you for the question. If I if I understood it correctly, it's kind of like uh, carrying the message. You know, how do we how do we walk into the rooms and how do we carry the message? Um, you know, and, and we're instructed really well because this is not Larry's program. Uh, Larry's program, I'm quite certain, would get you killed. Um, it almost nearly killed me. So this is the program, um, and in the chapter, and working with others, and informs us. Um, how to uh, how to approach other people, but what I would say is I go to many meetings where you know let's say you know there doesn't appear to be very good recovery in ter- um, um, and I base that more on you know do people focus in on the way out the solution, which for me was the practical program of action in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, the program is not the tools, and I had to get very clear on that. So I, I, I'm able to carry the message today. Probably, you know, other recovered people um, that have been around for a little bit, they can probably relate that I don't walk in like a bull in a china shop because I'm. this is attraction rather than promotion. And if I can be attractive to other people, what are they, what are they attracted to? Um, Leah taught me this one. I stole it from her. They are attracted to um, God's handiwork. <laughs> they see in me something amazingly because what they would have seen in me before they would not have been attracted to. I can uh, only other superficial people would have been attracted to my superficiality. Believe me. Um, but um, today, when I when I go into rooms and I carry the message on what's worked for me, I carry it with um, with conviction, but not tr- um, looking towards outcome like um, trying to. Uh, this is God's deal. This is uh, uh, this is between them and their higher power. The best thing that I can do is just share what how I was given complete freedom from this disease and how my whole life and all all manner of thinking had changed. And you know, tell them where I came from, what happened, and where I am now. And it's amazing. People are really attracted to that message. 
But if I come in there with a mindset of trying, oh, I've got to convince these people. I got it, I got it, I got it. See, that was my old approach to life. I wanted to bend the will of other people to arrange the lighting, the scenery, the players. Remember, you know, the main problem centered in our mind and selfishness, self-centeredness, that was the root of our troubles. So I think you're on good footing if you, if you just carry the message in, in, in a gentle way, but a firm way. And uh, that, that message does resonate. But <laughs> look, look at all the people that uh, are on vision and uh, any other strong um, foundational program that is committed to the big book um, is very strong. Hope that helps a little bit. Thank you, Marcella, for the question. Who's next with a question? Good morning. This is Linda. Hi, Linda. Your turn. Thank you. Hi, Linda. Recovered in North Carolina, and thank you so much, Larry, for your service today. I have a question for you regarding one of the promises, and if you have any insight or you know some suggestions on you know working this aspect of it, it's with financial insecurity. Have you ever experienced that, and have you have have the promises come through with that? Thank you. Yes, thank thank you for the question. Yeah, because I <laughs> there may be one or two people out there that think, well, if this guy had uh, this guy had my problems, uh, I'm not so sure he would be recovered. Or he'd be calling, you know, Mr. Smarty Pants over here calling himself recovered. You know, he obviously does not know the problems that I know, and that may be true. Um, however, I will tell you, I'll share a couple things with you. My home was in foreclosure, lost my home. Um, my, I couldn't save a nickel, couldn't save a nickel, uh, because one of the other manifestations of my disease that, that seemed to bring me, uh, a numbing out process was to go out and spend. I don't know if you can relate to that. Maybe that's unique to me, but, um, oh, I had financial insecurity you know, we oftentimes those those in, in in the throes of their disease spend up to and beyond their means. I don't care what their means are, you know, and uh, and that was the case for me. Um, couldn't save money. The thought of retiring and all that kind of stuff. I just put that stuff out of my mind. Um, there's a reason why I had panic attacks and constant anxiety. A lot of it was. Uh, fear of economic insecurity. So here's here's the thing that I would tell you. In that promise, it is very specific. It says the fear of people and of economic insecurity will leave us. One of the things that it doesn't say is that people and economic uh, insecurity uh, will leave us. It says the fear of those things. And what's interesting about that is the fear did leave me. It left me pretty quickly. Um, that is absolutely a promise and that's absolutely what happened to me. I'm so grateful. Um, if it hadn't left me, because that was one of the primary things that kept me stuck in the quicksand was just this. I thought once I get my financial house in order, then I can embark on these steps. Then I can form a new relationship with my creator. I was wrong. I was, I was, uh, I, I, I misperceived what this was all about, this way out. And uh, so now, but one of the interesting transitions, though, is once the fear of people and economic insecurity left me, 
and I began to change as a man. You know, I began to change. I, I, would, I had new thinking. God had, had instilled in me new values and new thinking. And as my behavior always followed my thinking, my prevailing thinking, behavior always comes after the thinking. So now that I was thinking new thoughts, I was behaving in new ways, such as saving money, not going out and spending frivolously to feel better, for a few moments. Same thing as eating chocolate, a dozen donuts, same feeling, numb out, go buy a car. One time I told, I'll, I'll, I'll just travel to Vegas, no bags, nothing. Within three hours, I was on a plane to Vegas years ago, you know, um, spending without having the money, <clears throat> living in secret, packing my closet with stuff that I didn't need or couldn't use. Yeah, the, the, the fear left me, the, and the thinking changed, and the behavior changed. That promise has absolutely 100% come true for me. I hope that helps a little bit. Thank you, Linda, for the oh, thank, Yes, thank you so much. Thank you very much. My pleasure. Hi, this is Cindy in Santa Barbara. Hi, and I've, I've been in the program nine months, and I'm a devout Christian, and I believe in the program. And I love your analogy of the waiting room. I'm in the waiting room, and I can't seem to get that door open. Do you have suggestions? Yes. Um, the, yeah, the suggestions are are all in the big book. And, um, you know, my, my suggestions are that from what, whatever religious um, affiliation we come from, and that's the beauty of this program, you know, Christians, Jews, Muslims, atheists, agnostics, and all points in between, we all come and we all have a, a common malady, our problem, you know, of, of um, you know, our problem centers in our mind. We're stuck with that obsession of the mind. We have an allergy of the body and we have an obsession of the mind. And in answer to your question, <clears throat> you know, the thing that, that, we, that we need to do is somewhat counterintuitive because we've always, uh, perhaps many of us, uh, embark on, you know, we set a goal and we embark on something and we rely on self-will and we wait till we feel better before starting, embarking on something. Yeah, I'll start that exercise program once that pain in my ankle kind of goes away or I'll start on the, you know, I'll start uh, on this uh, paper. I have students. I'll start on the paper due once I have some pressure, you know, there and I know it's due. And, you know, so we, we come from a paradigm in which we don't, you know, we're, we're kind of stuck in the quicksand of inactivity. What I, my advice for anyone is to, if we're not willing, because willingness is a one-person job, I was taught by a very wise sponsor to pray for the willingness to be willing. Remember, this is not a program dependent on your sponsor. The word sponsor doesn't appear anywhere in the big book that I'm aware. Um, this program you know, God could and would if you were sought. God can relieve you of this. So pray for the willingness to be willing. And then remember, um, I, always, I always try to remember simple things that, you know, I took a shower before, you know, here. God didn't turn the shower on for me as far as I know. I did. Um, you know, uh, I, I plan to spend the day with my daughter. <clears throat> God, you know, will not uh, uh, force me to take those actions to do it. Willingness has to come from inside and if we're not willing let's be honest and recognize that we're not willing and let's pray for the willingness to be willing 
<clears throat> and then let's let's forthwith forthwith let's take action. Even the smallest little actions in my experience, the smallest little actions to embark on these this practical program of action. When I took a step towards God, he took a giant leap towards me. Now that may sound kind of fantasy-ish. I just created a word. Um, but it is nonetheless true. Every little small little step in the midst of my fear, courageously taken, God took a giant leap towards me. Try it. See if it see if that works for you. I hope that helps. Yes, it helps a lot. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Cindy. Anyone else with a question for Larry? This is Debbie. Hi, Debbie. Go ahead. Yeah, can I ask a question to Yelena? Uh, we'll take Debbie and then your name, please. Yelena. Yelena. Okay, Debbie first, please. Thank you. Um, I was recently at a 12-step convention, and they were talking about the ninth step, making the amends, and, of course, that's where one of our promises comes. Debbie, we lost you there. Maybe star one to unmute. This is Debbie. Can you hear me now? Yes, please continue. All right. I was talking about step nine, and uh, these folks were saying after they cleared their side of the street, then they asked the person they were speaking with, if uh, they they would say, this is what I remember, is there anything else? And I it was the first time I had heard that kind of um, ninth step, and I'm wondering what you might think about that. Thank you. Oh, that's a great question. <clears throat> great question. Um, you know, we're, we're informed uh, within the big book. It gives some very specific instructions. Remember, you know, that the, the, the practical program of action, um, particularly the action steps, gives us very specific instructions. And if followed precisely, we can, we can have, we, we can have this, this thing. We can get to this recovered state. Because remember, you know, on page 76, as we embark on steps 8 and 9, it says it was agreed at the beginning we would go to any lengths for victory over alcohol. And although we might have some misgivings, our, our real purpose is to fit ourselves to be of maximum service to God and to people about us. So it, from there, it goes on to give some very specific instructions on how best to do that. It talks about things like, you know, things like when we owe money, um, you know, of course, you know, in step nine, we make direct amends to such direct amends. So we'd like to make those amends in person when we can, except when to do so would injure them or others. And that's why we have the guidance of a sponsor through that. Now, what you're referring to, um, yes, I've, I've heard that. It may even allude to that a bit in the big book as you read through se- uh, 77 all the way um, through, um, those specific instructions all the way through step 10. Um, but, uh, y- you know, I know that with, uh, with making amends, of course, I'm cleaning up my side of the street. And, um, yes, I, I ask, uh, the person if there's, uh, I know when I made amends to my sister, for example, for the first time, I had thought long and hard and written out all the, the various things that I wanted to make amends to that were within my memory, you know, however, um, I did, I remember asking, uh, something like what you're referring to, 
which was, you know, um, Andrea, is there is there anything that I left out? You know, because I want to be um, fearless and I want to be thorough in this process. And, you know, maybe there's something that, that perhaps I left out. And she said, gosh, no, I, I'm just so grateful. But, you know, now that you mention it, and she, she, uh, you know, she, there was a couple of things that she had remembered that I, 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 it just escaped my memory so many years ago. And one of them was um, just being left out, you know, many, many years ago as a child. She was four years younger than me and, you know, feeling left out and feeling, you know, uh, that I didn't, I didn't care about her because when I had friends over, I just, uh, you know, basically she was like a non-entity. That's the way she felt. And she felt like a, like a, we made her feel like a child. I made her feel like a child. And, you know, that was helpful to ask that type of question because the whole idea there was even though I'm making these amends for myself in terms of cleaning up my side of the street, to give that person an opportunity since that time, here's the deal about being thorough in that process. And, and offering up that type of question to the person, that my relationship with my sister, I couldn't spend more than five minutes with this woman for decades. I just, I couldn't be around her. It was that, the resentment and the judgment and the vitriol was that strong. I don't care what the occasion. So I would either avoid her or when I was in her midst, I, I walked around, you could cut the, the tension in the air. You know, and now I can, I appreciate this woman and what a beautiful mother and a beautiful person. My, has she changed? <laughs> you know, so uh, of course I, I was the one that changed all the time. So I'm a big fan of, of that approach. Absolutely. I hope that helps. Thank you, Debbie, for the question. Yelena, your turn. Star one to unmute. Hi, can you hear me? Yes, go ahead. Hi, thank you, Larry. Uh, thank you, Leah, for your service. I have a question. Uh, Larry, the promises say we will intuitively know what to do. Could you please comment a little bit more about uh, the clarity of the mind specifics? Uh, when did you know when to do, when is the right thing to do, and when did you know to do the 10th step in the beginning of your recovery when you first became recovered? Thank you very much. Okay. Well, um, you know, you're, there's a couple of, it seems like there's a couple of different uh, questions within there um, about, you know, this notion of intuitively knowing how to handle, um, it says we will intuitively know how to handle situations which used to baffle us we will suddenly realize that God is doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. Yes, that absolutely, and I can give you many examples that came, and this was, this was, some of this came while I was in the midst of step nine. I mean, when they say you'll be amazed before you're halfway through, I thought, well, I don't know, but I, I really and truly was. I, I, I was amazed. This stuff was just coming. And so some of the ways that that manifested in my life about intuitively knowing how to handle situations which used to baffle me is I, I had a boss. I still have the same boss. And I could not work with this woman. I thought she was evil incarnate. You know, like I thought that this woman woke up in the morning and thought of ways to make Larry's life more difficult, you know. And um, 
And she was another person that God changed magically while I was in step nine. Imagine that. You know, she changed this woman and has not changed. And, and I've, I've had this, this same boss for many years now. Um, I now intuitively knew how to handle situations before. I'll give you an example. When, you know, one of the, one of the jobs, the, the, the stuff kind of flows down in, 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 in an organization, right? My boss has a job to do. She's meticulous. She's good, a good administrator in her job. She's good at keeping track of things. It's one of the reasons she's in her position. She's a bright woman. Um, before, I, it just didn't come intuitive to me to know that if, if somebody – um, sent me an email, for example, saying, you know, uh, this production, let's just say, uh, is down. What are, what, are, what, is, what are we doing about it? I read it like, listen, USOB, you know, the production's down. What the heck are you doing with your time? But, you know, I read it. That's the best that my intuition offered me was reading a straightforward email as though she was just so critical and judgmental. And that wasn't it at all. And I never knew that. And I intuitively knew how to handle situations like that when I had completed step nine. And it has not changed since then, not even once. So she still asks the same questions, you know, when production is down or if we lose, you know, we lost an employee and we have to scramble around to find another, uh, you know, counselor, specialized counselor. And I have a new person starting on Monday. And, you know, what's our agenda? What, well, you know, what's our agenda? It's Larry's. You know, what, Larry, what are you doing to train this person? That's my job. But I don't take offense to it anymore. I intuitively know how to handle situations like that that used to baffle us. I can relate to people, ex-wives, <laughs> um, family members, my mother, my sister, my siblings. They've all changed magically, you know, and, and those are examples. And then the other part of your question, um, I, I think, was, was then transitioning to step 10. Well, as you know, step 10 is, uh, is now a, a, a growth a lifetime growth and maintenance step, living in steps 10, 11, and 12. Of course, um, selfishness, dishonesty, um, fear, and those types of things are going to, to, to come up. Um, and when they do, I know precisely how to deal with them so that they don't own me anymore because God intuitively placed that in my mind. You know, and the, and the big book gave me very specific instructions on how to do that, how to do that inventory, which essentially very quickly allows me to work four through nine in very quick fashion so that, uh, so that I can then move on and I'm not, doesn't ruin me for days and weeks and so forth. So when do we take step 10? Next. You know, when do we, what do we, you know, this program was designed, in my opinion, I don't speak for OA, to get through, you know, if you're if you're still sitting in a step, you know, a couple of months tops, one through twelve. Now, if that's if you're like if someone right now is like, oh my God, someone just choked on their coffee. You know, I've been in step four for two years. Uh, uh, obviously, I'm doing this wrong. Well, you are where you are. But the point is, is how free do you want to be, and when do you want to get well? You know, and if someone, if you have someone that is not a sharing partner, that is not available however well-intentioned, to take you through the steps quickly and precisely, then you better find someone that will. And if, you're guilty, if you feel guilty over that, in my opinion, you know, this is your life we're talking about here. So when do you take step 10 next? 
you know. So I hope that helps. Thank you, Yolena, for the question. Anyone else this morning? Questions for Larry? Sue G. Go right ahead, Sue. Good morning. Hi, Leah. Hi, Larry. Um, Hi, Sue. Sue G. here in Pennsylvania, gracefully recovers, and it seems to me these promises are all about the change of perspective that happens in, in recovery that's really quite miraculous. And, and there's always those uh, selfish, dishonest resentment and fear issues that beckon. Um, you know, come here, so goofy. Um, but what, what I'm thinking about and would like you to comment on is the, um, the role of the healing quality of gratitude in accepting our imperfections. Uh, what a what a great question, Sue. Always always um, always insightful questions. Yeah, the healing power of gratitude. Um, such a powerful powerful uh, phenomenon. And you know, it's funny. I, I'm, I'm reading a book called The Forgiving Life. A pathway to overcoming resentment and creating a legacy of love, and, um, and and one of the things inherent, one of the messages inherent in that, is this very notion of the healing power of gratitude. You know, before I had uh, this complete spiritual transformation, which incidentally for me was an evolving process. It continues to evolve. It continues to get better. I never arrived. It's kind of like Sue and you, you, I mean, many people can relate, but Sue, you certainly can relate, you know, to like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you know, and of course at the very top of the pyramid is this notion of self-actualization, you know, that we, we never really arrive and become fully self-actualized, you know, being, being all that we were meant to be, you know, from our perspective, from a, from a program perspective, you know, um, being, being in complete alignment with our higher power, completely congruent. There is no complete congruence because I'm a human being, and human beings are fallible, and I'm certainly fallible today. But today, one of the remarkable things is the sense of gratitude that when I get up, for example, when I get up in the morning and I say my prayers, my step you know, my third step prayer, my seven step prayer, the serenity prayer, St. Francis prayer, page, I believe, 99 and the AA 12 and 12. You know, so these are some common prayers that I say. You know, one thing is I have a gratitude. You know, it's like I've heard it said and, and I, I've taken this on. I wake up with a smile on my face and I say, you know, God, you know, here I am, God. Thank you, Larry, reporting for duty. You know, and I heard someone else say that, and I thought, well, if it's good enough for that person, it's good enough for me. And it makes me smile. And in the midst of that gratitude, it's very healing. And so we, we got here. We got here in pain and misery. We got here where the bedevilments owned us and, for many of us, enslaved us. And yet somehow we coped to the best of our ability through that. But um, what I find is the healing power today is that I know that I'm in alignment with my higher power. 
and I'm living a more congruent life, which means that my walk is more aligned with my talk, not perfectly so. And with that comes tremendous healing and gratitude because I know that like my daughter, for example, Sue, you know, she's, she, she, for most of her life, she is not going to know this guy who spewed vitriol over everyone and vomited vitriol over everyone. You know, what gratitude and healing. So the healing extends beyond just um, ourselves. It extends because when my daughter feels that love, she carries that love out into the world and and exponentially it grows. And that may sound kind of like, you know, someone's, you know, has their finger up their mouth, you know, like, ugh, enough already about the gratitude. Yeah, well, you're, when you're not feeling uh, very good, you know, this morning and you, you're coming off a of food fog and a binge last night, well, sure, I didn't either. I didn't want to hear this stuff. I wanted hope, but I just wanted out of the food. But what I can tell you, and back to Sue's point, is, there is healing and it comes over time, but we have to be willing to take action. This is not a program for people who uh, want it and it's not a program for people who need it. It's a program for people who do it. And when you do it, you're going to see a transformation unlike you've ever experienced. That I know because that's my experience. And it's something not to be missed. So tremendous gratitude this morning. I don't know if that helps a little bit, Sue. Thanks. Thank you, Sue, for your question. Anyone anyone else with a question this morning for Larry? Star one to unmute. Going once. Okay, I suppose all minds are cleared. Thank you, Larry, for your service this morning and your beautiful presentation. Thank you. And I'm going to close the meeting in the way we always close here at A Vision for You, and that's from page 164. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you. Until then.